Hello, podcast listener. Today's episode of JJ Meets World features a television personality, radio personality, a paraprofessional substitute for Fargo Public Schools, and all-around encyclopedia of knowledge, Mr. Steve Poitras. We go everywhere in this conversation, so if you're looking for something that hits right here, right there, and everywhere in between, this is the podcast for you. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of JJ Meets World is brought to you by Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty. Natalie has a proven track record to get your home sold faster and for more money. She is consistently focused on her clients' needs and wants throughout the entire process and make sure that they are well taken care of. If you're looking to buy or sell, reach out to Natalie today. On average, Natalie sells a home every 3.74 days. That's at least two a week. And last year, Natalie earned her clients on average over $4,000 above list price on their homes. And you don't have to take our word for it. Here's some of the great reviews Natalie has received. I was overwhelmingly impressed with Natalie and all the Hatch team. She was very responsive and responded to all of the emails within an hour. She gave great advice and encouragement from the listing and pictures, the offer and all the closing details, the marketing team knew exactly how to promote my property and I was pleased by how soon and easily my property received an offer. I was actually dreading selling my condo and Natalie did such an awesome job that I felt like I really didn't need to do anything. The thing I most appreciated was that she really listened to what I wanted to do and respected my decisions. I would definitely recommend Natalie and all the Hatch Realty team. They made this process so wonderful. That was from Diane. So listen, if you're in the mood to buy or sell a home, give Natalie a call right now. You can reach her at 701-388-9338, Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, at HatchRealtyFM.com, or you can go to LiveFargoMoorhead.com, that's LiveFargoMoorhead.com, and find out some information. Huge thanks to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty for sponsoring JJ Meets World. One, two, three, four. JJ Gordon, sort of like that Indiana Jones in that he's always snipping out his next adventure. Yes, he is. He's always interviewing guests so he can have them on his show and they can talk about pop culture, arts, and leisure. JJ has his flag unfurled and he likes his french fries curled and he's fun and then he twirls as he goes to meet the world. He will march into the rain even if his ankle sprain. Take a peek inside. His brain, this podcast is called JJ Meets World. I've been physically attracted to two different mice in my life. One is Gadget from the Chippendales Rescue Rangers, and the other is, I don't even know her name, but she was the mouse cheerleader at Chuck E. Cheese. Or it may have been showbiz. That was a bird. What? No, there's a, there's a mouse. There's a, a showbiz then because there's a mouse. Whichever one was the mouse, right? Because when it became Chuck E. Cheese, it became a bird, well, right? I think she was always a bird. I'm pretty sure she was like a. It must have been when it was showbiz because then it then she wouldn't be competing with the cheese man mouse. <laughs> Not that the bird mice distinction really matters. In this it, case. it does. It does. It does. <laughs> Because she was a peppy, she's a peppy cheerleader mouse. I'm positive the rockabilly explosion, uh, a rockafire explosion was a mouse. Um, and then they had like, there was like a dog who was the Matthew McConaughey of <laughs> dogs, and he would like sit on a surfboard, but he played like a guitar maybe. 
But I remember being very attracted to both of those anthropomorphic mice. And uh, it's given me some weird stuff throughout the world years because I don't like mice. I, th- I find mice to be one of just the most disgusting creatures on the planet. But even today, I thought about it. I thought about while I was getting dressed today about how like attracted I was to this cheerleader mouse and then gadget. I'm really glad you're sharing your truth with all of us right now. That's very brave of you. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I've never kept a secret, but normally people don't ask. That must've been confusing as a child too. Oh, so confusing because of course, chip and Dale are both attracted to gadget and chip and Dale's rescue Ranger. So I thought, am I a chipmunk? (laughs) And I don't understand what's going on. And then I never understood why Monterey Jack wasn't attracted, even though he, she was the daughter of like a good friend of his, I think. He's a man of a certain age. You know, you'd think he would be just saying things constantly that would be making the rest of the cast feel uncomfortable. But at least they're the same species. Sure. You know, we're talking about chipmunks going after a mouse. And we're rodentia, talking- though, right? They're all rodents. Mm, I mean, I, I've never been really attracted to like a chimpanzee. And worth the same, you know. What about like a cephalopod? That, right? <laughs> or an ungulate? No, not that I remember. Um... <laughs> It's just one of those things where it, I've carried it with me throughout life. And I think it's one of those weird things where when people just talk about, oh, yeah, I had a crush on this thing that wasn't a human being, mm. but for whatever reason meant something to me like as a kid. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's somebody out there who like Rosie the robot from the Jetsons. Like you loved her caretaker, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> mentality. <laughs> And uh, whenever you hear something go bing, bing, like her little side of her head did, you, you sort of, little, you know, get a little aroused. Um, that has nothing to do with our guest today, uh, Steve Poitras. Uh, but I will say this. This is one of those classic JJ Meets World conversations that covers a lot of ground. Yep. So if you like Shakespeare, if you like farts, the history of Downer, Minnesota, uh, Moorhead State University, mustaches. winter storms, mustaches. We're all over the board, baby. TV's Charlie Johnson. TV's Charlie Johnson. Former TV's former Charlie Johnson. For- uh, <laughs> because he, what is he now? He's the director of the, the tourism. Uh, tourism. Let's get let's get that dude in here. Yeah, at some point. He and I had a fight on the radio once. Charlie, come in here and squash this beef with JJ. Uh, we, there's no more beef. We you don't know we, that. We have, a, we have a good time. You don't know that. I'm pretty sure because we've we've been in the same room many times. Since. What were you arguing about? Uh, uh, about a CNN article. He seems like such an agreeable fellow. Yeah, I well, I think I was probably a little confrontational about it and he was trying to cover uh himself and uh, keep his uh his personality this is episode's not about charlie johnson or the beef moving parts is his band they're wonderful i've seen them many times uh i've got no beef whatsoever uh but steve poitras is a pretty cool dude uh he's one of those adults who i don't feel like he looks at me like a kid, right? Which I always really appreciate. I feel like he looks at me as sort of a a peer, right? Now he would be the second local TV legend that we've had on the show with yeah. Doug Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So if you've if you grew up in the FM area, you've probably heard Steve's dulcet tones talk about the weather for the longest time. He had the distinction of being the only weather person in town who wasn't a meteorologist. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you've seen him on TV. You've probably heard his radio show, and you've probably seen him on stage doing theater in town it's important to note that at no point does he pull out a cell phone and read anything during this episode 
You'll understand why when you hear him start to pull out quotes and poems. This is all stuff that's locked away in his noggin. He's a pretty interesting dude. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into this episode with Mr. Steve Poitras. JJ Meets World. Steve Poitras, welcome to JJ Meets World. Thank you. Uh, it's nice to have another guy who's familiar familiar with the radio world so that we don't have to tell them what a microphone is and how it works because I've been telling them that there's little tiny monsters inside the <laughs> microphone who are just shouting it louder. Yes, I was on the radio with microphone as recently as a few hours ago on but, Sunday morning with Investment Talk. That's right. You and Paul Myers and then is Brady Brunsvold still on there with you? Indeed. Yep. Yes. And then did you have a trivia time this weekend too? We had that too. So you've been a busy boy all weekend. Well, it's not that busy, but uh, it's nice to still have my hand in in broadcasting in a small way. Whether so, it's TV, yeah. Right off the bat, Trivia Time is a show that you host on KFGO. Yeah, soon going to be 12 years that we've been doing it. I'm a little addicted to the show. Great. Uh, I like to listen and test myself to see how smart I am. But I'm going to ask, so in a world where it you know everyone's got google at their fingertips do you give a count of like one one thousand two one thousand three one thousand if they don't have an answer you're like nope i can tell you're looking it up anytime i suspect stalling for the purpose of that person or someone with them to uh, get help that quickly uh then i really try to move it along hey you know we need an answer uh there have been a couple of instances in the past where i didn't realize because a woman got on and I'd ask the question, and she'd repeat it. She was getting, you know, and I didn't realize until later. Um, and uh, I think she actually won. So be very careful. <laughs> and you know, you know, people, where's your integrity? Right. We're not playing for new cars here. Right. Yeah. Uh, you might um, get tickets to a concert or to the Red Hawks <laughs> uh, or three attractions at Thunder Road or a $10 gift certificate to the Breadsmith. It's a real seedy underbelly uh, of the uh, trivia world is Google. You know, the thing is, you get a lot of regular callers, though, on yes. that show. A lot of people who test their their skills. And there are some people who I think are genuinely very intelligent and very oh, yes. trivia-based. But then every now and then, there's that one person. I've heard that trick you're talking about. Like, who was Babe Ruth's first coach? Who? Let's see. Who was <laughs> no, no. First the, coach. Babe first coach. Ruth's first coach was, oh, gosh, let me see. And meanwhile, like, you can tell they're snapping and they're trying to get their husband to look it up. Yeah, and... and- and uh, I don't object to somebody having some, sometimes someone will put their teenager or even younger on because they want, and, and then they'll say the question and get, I don't know for what reason, but if it's entertaining for them, so, yeah. let them do it. But. Family feud rules, right? <laughs> well, JJ has been running trivia, even managing trivia at the gastro yeah. pub for a long time now. And I always tell people this, I said, you can't use any modern technology to cheat but if you brought an entire set of encyclopedia britannica with you i'm fine with that yeah i part no of one's taking me up on team it. Uh, gets together on tuesday nights at tailgaters and it's a, a national or even international game and uh, and it's with uh, the various uh, fields that our team is strong in uh, we we do pretty well and uh and we don't win anything. It's just for the glory of competition and placing. So. Tri- trivia gives me flashbacks to my childhood when we'd go to Godfather's Pizza because they'd have trivial pursuit cards on every table. You could just oh, kind yeah. of ask questions. But I was six or seven years old, so all of the questions were about stuff I'd have no idea of, right? So me and my sister couldn't really play. And I remember one question knowing the answer. And 
because I had the answer, I was just on cloud nine for the rest of the week because of it. And it was um, what Marvel Comics superhero says it's clobbering time. And the answer was the thing. Well done, right? <laughs> Six-year-old Tucker knew that one. Mm-hmm. But uh, do you know the chemicals already know chromium already know you said chemical already know mm, interesting how do you pick your trivia how do i put, yeah oh it's great it's so diverse it's i've used i've used all kinds of sources uh from games to online sites there's a place called trivia bliss and they have almost endless categories and and whether hist you know history music uh you name it um and so I've done that. Then I've also very conscientiously over these nearly 12 years, I have saved the lists of questions from every show and they're dated and I have them in portfolios about date, you know, folders by year. And so I recycle them and whether or not I use the self same question or turn it around or it suggests a similar question. I, I do that. And I, so um, for, I would say for each show, I put in a few hours, but I rather enjoy it because mm-hmm. when you're, you know, that leads you to places. And if you're just curious, it's, you know, satisfying curiosity. Writing a good trivia question is incredibly difficult. Yeah. You can't be too difficult and yet you don't want it to be duck soup either. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I, the, there's something self-indulgent I have about it that I'll ask a question. It won't be that bad and somebody will get it. And then I'll have a little sidebar of something I want to comment on, you know, and uh, bring that up. And, or I'll ask people, well, in addition to that, for extra credit, and this won't knock you out, do you happen to know this about that question? And uh, that gets interesting. It's, I, I also think interpretation is the hard part about writing a trivia question today, too, where you can say, what famous brand uses a mermaid as their logo? And people might say, oh, it's uh, Starbucks, right? It's the Starbucks mermaid. But then someone says, no, 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 it's Sunkissed Tuna. That's what came to my mind. So uh, you have to Star be specific. Starkiss, thank yeah. you very much. Sunkissed uh, is oranges. Oh, they, they're not in the tuna game yet? I don't think so. Mm. Sunkissed we'll is just another word for melanoma. <laughs> and nothing left to lose. Yes, very good. I, yeah, great. Well, you know, trivia time, of course, is one of my favorite things that you do. But you, you're kind of a broadcast legend around here. You've done TV. You've done radio. Have you ever done any writing? Uh, other than for news, when I was reporting uh, on Valley News Live, and that's writing, I guess, when you put together stories. But yeah, um, I like, read like a great imprint. deal. I read obsessively, but. I've never had the discipline to write. Other than I will once in a while try to write a short poem, but it's often will be lampooning another poem. Oh, you want to do one I did way back when I was a sophomore at the then Moorhead State College Campus High School. Sophomore. Ran into Carl Sandburg, Chicago. You know, uh, freight handlers to, to the nation. Stormy, windy, this city of the broad shoulders, proud to be all of this. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I lived in Moorhead. So uh, windy, flabby, city of the bulging belt line, uh, sugar refiner to the valley and city of colleges. They tell me you are conservative and I believe them for I've seen you defeat the school bond. They tell me you are stupid, and I believe them, for I've smelled the sewage bond. <laughs> then it was, uh, 
Well, then I, I guess it was where I went. Windy, flabby, city of the bulging belt line. Proud to be across the river from Fargo, North Dakota, home of Roger Maris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, what that makes me think of is, so I've done a, a bunch of theater with Poiter over the years, and I've also seen you audition for shows a lot. And you have the most, like, signature audition style of anyone in town here that I've seen because, you know, Steve has a lot of uh, either monologues or just poems. Oftentimes it's beat poetry from like beatnik poetry that he'll do when he goes in. And um, he doesn't have to prepare because he's been preparing for years. So like we just had auditions recently and he came in and we're like, oh, what can you do? And he's like, oh, I'll just do this and I'll throw this one in there too. Right. He's got like a whole like uh, playlist of stuff that he can kind of draw from. And it's and it's and it's usually steeped in literature or or poetry of some kind, you know, uh, word performance. And I love I love hearing it. Thank you. Have you always been a fan of literature? I mean, well, uh, yeah, somewhat. I'll tell you though, uh, uh, Tucker here, of course, playing the most famous role in the fo- most famous play in the English language, Hamlet. Mm-hmm. It's only as the years have gone by that I've gained a true and ever-growing appreciation for Shakespeare. I mean, I just start to get a buzz talking about it. Um, I mean, 37 or so plays, 150-some sonnets, etc. And it's like nothing was ever thrown away. Um, I mean, his, his monumental talent and universality of his sense of experience of the human uh, experience... Um, and you know, you just look and they're different. I once played, um, Friar Lawrence mm-hmm. in, uh, Romeo, Romeo and Juliet. Juliet. And he comes, the, the, the gray eyed morn smiles on frowning night, checkering the Eastern clouds with streaks of light and flecked darkness like a drunkard reels from fourth day's path and Titan's fiery wheels. Now ere the sun advance, it's burning eye, the day no, the day to cheer, and night's dank dew to dry. I must have filled this ocean. He's out there to gather up. But just that line, night's dank dew to dry. I mean, it's just masterful. And you think, man, that guy, could, he just knocked it out. There's he knocked a, it out. There's a line from Hamlet that I'm in the middle of line memorization right now. Over a thousand lines I have to memorize. Yes. So I'm at the moment, I'm just banging my head against a wall going, oh my God, why can't I remember this? But in the end, spoiler alert, when he's about to die, and he tells Horatio, I almost called him Mercutio, but you were just talking about Romeo and Juliet, which is why, he, he tells Horatio, absent thee from Felicity a while, don't kill yourself just yet, um, because I need you to tell me a story. And something about- How does he, absent ab- thee from Felicity? Absent thee from Felicity a while, when he's about to drink the poison cup, and he says, don't do that. That, that particular line, for whatever reason, and I, I haven't put my finger on it yet, it chokes me up. I don't know why. Absent thee from Felicity a while. It's just, you know, it's a simple line, but something about it strikes a chord with me. And I think that's that's part of the reason why Shakespeare is so timeless in that it's not so specific that you know exactly what's going on. And so many people can apply their own thoughts and feelings and take from it what they will. You know, he's endlessly um, redefinable translatable um which is which is and manna is it, from heaven for his the insights his perceptions and he sees everything from both sides yeah there's something about too i like to th- i like to try to think about shakespeare in the time of shakespeare what was it like when you were you know a, a, a poor 
you know, surf of the land or whatever, you know, you, your lot in life would have been, you were a groundling at the theater and this was the only form of entertainment you had. And, and what it would be like then to be hanging on an actor's every word is they're describing something to you that you will never see an experience in the most beautiful prose one could, one can imagine, but it's also then a travesty. I think of how we educate people on Shakespeare. We, we, we seem to find, and I'm speaking generally here about we, the, uh, the school system in this country, how we approach it. We, we make it almost doomed to fail for most people because we don't expose them to the work the correct way. We make them read it in class. And that's basically it. You learn some characters and, and stuff like that. It's meant to be heard and seen and spoken and thought about and, and, and returned to time and time again. Well, yeah, so. we uh, draw connection with that and, and trivia, trivia time, because every once in a while, I'll say, okay, here's a question from Shakespeare. And often I'll get from the other end, oh, no. <laughs> and I'll try to not have it that obscure. You know, like, right. what character in Shakespeare says, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears? You mean in, C- in Julius Caesar? It is. Well, it's, it's from Julius, but it's actually Mark Antony who says it. Right. It's, it's his funeral oration for Julius Caesar. Right, yeah. right. Well, Hamlet's another Shakespeare, though, too, that even if you're not into Shakespeare, if you go watch it, you're going to pick up at least 20 times like, oh, I've heard that line before. Yes. Because these lines get repeated yes. so often in popular culture. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy, right? Indeed. Um, frailty thy name is woman to be or not to be uh methinks the lady dost protest too much there's so many lines that we have all heard time and time again in popular culture that you wouldn't even know it was from hamlet and so the light bulb is going to be going off in your head and we could talk about hamlet forever i love when they pull hamlet into popular culture and you don't even realize like the lion king like lion king or even just when someone's quoting a line you know like you watch a movie where they're doing a high school production of a play and you can instantly tell it's hamlet um there's a gr- as soon as you see the skull yep if you see someone holding the skull you know exactly what you're seeing there's a great episode of tales from the crypt where john lovitz is this down and out actor who's trying to uh you know make make something of himself and he sees an audition for hamlet and this really good looking like kind of soap opera guy who he's been you know back and forth with all these years says well i'm gonna try out for it too he goes you're not gonna know what this is shakespeare's one of his greatest plays and you don't have the appreciation for it and so they both are going after this role and it's directed by john Aston, this play who of course can chew up scenery like there's no tomorrow well at the very end again spoiler alert but i believe the episode's 30 years old at this point <laughs> it's a mental institution where the patients have taken over and these guys think that they're going to play the role of hamlet but really they're going to be playing the role of yorick and they're like but he was dead years before the play and they're like i know and so they pulled <laughs> john lovett's skull out and john Aston has the scene where he's kind of sitting off in the wings and he goes you know he really does have the look i think i was wrong about him <laughs> and it's just a weird funny little thing but again you know, all based around somebody's love of Hamlet and being able to tell that joke. You know, right. the, that joke would not be uh, funny if people didn't have right. that knowledge of what the show is. Uh, were you in Macbeth with me? Who yes. did you play in Macbeth? I had three small parts. I was, uh, uh, at the end, I was old sewer to come there on, you know. Yep, that's right. And, uh, and then I was an old man in a scene to talk where my son, you know, uh, 
like horses were eating each other. There's a line of something like that. And and there was, a, was one other small role, but Macbeth overall is probably my favorite. Uh, I know it the best. There's a, a little patch in there where Macbeth is seriously mentally troubled after he's killed the king. He says, Methought I heard a voice say, Sleep no more, Macbeth hath murdered sleep. And Shakespeare then goes into this marvelous thing, sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care, nature's balm, sweet, uh, chief nourisher in life's feast. Uh, and I'm not getting it all, but it's about four or five lines uh, talking about sleep. Right. And it's eternal. It's for all time. Right. Um, that ties in. And, and, and that, that says how wretched it is if you can't get decent sleep. Right. I mean, that ties into to be or not to be because Hamlet talks about, he's talking about suicide and about resting. And at one point he says, um, there, there's a, a period in it, but it reads so well when you say to die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream. Yes. Oh, that's right. He says to die, period, to sleep, period, to sleep perchance to dream. But I oh, like there's... reading it as to die, to sleep, because he's thinking about suicide. He's thinking about getting away from this place. But then he says, but in that sleep of death, what dreams may come, right? And I love that line with the title of the Robin Williams movie, What Dreams May Come, mm -hmm. is based off of that. The notion that what sleep will I have when I am dead? What dreams could I possibly have when I am dead? Either there's nothing or there's something and I will be tortured because I because the the uh, the the father has uh strength in his canon against self slaughter is the word the wording that he uses there. Um uh, Lord Buckley who died but used to do beat versions of oh like the Gettysburg Address or Mark Antony's Funeration or his I don't know much beyond the open, but for Hamlet's famous it was to swing or not to swing <laughs> that is the hang up <laughs> uh, Steve last time I had a chance to chat with you one on one we were at the uh, KFGO Christmas party and you were telling me about you were doing some work with the schools. And you oh. sounded just the most passionate I think I've ever heard you when you were talking about that experience. Um, it's been over five years that I've been doing it. I, In my semi-retirement from TV, which happened in 2011, I was still doing a little radio, but I had more than a little free time on my hands. And I ran into an old friend over here at the downtown Fargo Library, uh, Glenn Tornell. We're comparing notes. Uh, he was in a... Oh, he says, something else you might be interested in. He says, I've been working as a substitute paraprofessional in Fargo schools. Um, you might look into that. And I said, I think I will. I like kids. And I went, I saw Brenda Fisher at the district office. They got, you know, they have to do a quick background check. You get out of this. And boom, I was out on my first assignment the next day for a couple hours of, of uh, recess supervision at Longfellow Elementary. So uh, this has gone on. I uh, have gone on... Uh, I've been at nearly every public school at every level in Fargo, but now I pretty much limit it to elementary schools. In this last couple of years, it has mostly been to Bennett Elementary. And with the passage of time now, I know kids that are in fifth grade that I knew in kindergarten. And uh, you just become very fond of many, not just at that school, but others as well. And uh, I plan to be swinging into that again. Uh, as a substitute, you don't get paid as well as if you were you know, full on there all the time. And, but I'm not doing it for the money. I mean, I wouldn't do it for nothing. But uh, as a substitute, you go, you can go to different schools. And even within the same school, like Bennett, year before last, uh, 
somebody left for another job, and uh, Sarah Schaefer, the principal at Bennett, said, you know, Steve, that job's yours if you want it. And I says, thank you. I, and I like coming to Bennett every day, but I also like the variety where I fill in for different people, here, even here in the school. So, you, you know, you see more kids, and oh, goofing with kids is just about the best thing in the world. <laughs> it really is. Oh. You know, and then I suddenly change my voice with them. Oh, it knocks them out. <laughs> it's, you know, it's such an important role to play as well, too. You know, it, when you can see someone as an authority figure, but also kind of as on their level who can be a little silly and be a little goofy. And, and you know, you're a person, too, who I feel takes genuine interest. And when you ask a question, you're looking for an answer, not just oh, somebody yeah, to ask I, you some questions. I'm conscious. Now, you know, it's not that I ever let that distract from genuinely trying to help the kids in the classroom or whatever, um, for sure. And kids sense when you, they know you have their best interests at heart. Um, kids have amazing BS detectors. They yeah. really, really do. And, uh, the, the, you know, I think the, the adults when I was a kid that had the biggest impact on me were when they treat, when they, when they acknowledged that they were like, I'm not going to treat this kid like he's an idiot. Cause he's a kid. Right. And I'll also add there, there are so many really good teachers. Um, I kind of enjoy even at the elementary schools, I perhaps enjoy the kindergartners, first graders, more than the other, although I've had great time with third graders, et cetera. But uh, the, you know, the kindergarten teachers, they just amaze me. Uh, and, oh, there's exciting things. You'll, uh, you know, there's a range. Some kids come to kindergarten, they've had people, their parents reading to them and all so forth, and others really haven't had much at all. But, uh, you know, they bring them along and, well, whatever, but you run into a kindergartner and they're reading fluently you know, more than just really simple stuff. And it just knocks me out. I think, well, they've got it made. <laughs> you know, I tell the kids, the better you can read, that's the deal. The better you can read, that's, you know, it for all time, mm -hmm. you know. I remember my first grade teacher, Susan Colstead, sending me home with... I know Mrs. Colstead. Isn't she just she the best? She was at Hawthorne. Yep. Yeah. She's, I, I, she is, without a doubt, one of the greatest educators on the planet. She's so serene in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and she, she taught me to value art, and she taught me to value failure, so not everyone can do the same art project the same way, but you're doing it only in the way that you can do it, and that's special and important. Um, she gave me my like the first book someone from outside my family gave me. I was able to read all of Lyle, Lyle the Crocodile, and she goes, you really like that, huh? And I'm, I was just enamored that I did, and she goes, take that book home with you. That's yours now. And I still have that book. <laughs> yeah, she, she, you know, she and her husband live Mark, just just over here, uh, one building over. I had known Mark was out of Moorhead. I had known uh, Moorhead High and all, and so, and uh, then I was in. I think she was teaching first grade at Hawthorne when I was in, and she welcomed me and told the kids a little bit about me, you know. And so, you know, they were, you know, welcoming. Isn't yeah. it amazing when you get someone just who's passionate like that? And then she retires. But just like you, you know, I, there's a certain generation who think of retirement as like, well, I'm just going to work four days a week instead of five. And she immediately started going over to, I think, it was the Sanford, uh, working with kids who are going through cancer therapy oh, and doing yeah. art projects and stuff yeah. with them. What, um, what, what is it about retirement that made you not want to slow down? Because, I mean, I, you're I, a busy, busy guy for someone who's quote-unquote retired. Well, I think I look at it this way, and... I think somebody else said it first, is that uh, retirement can be where you only do what you really want to do. 
And so uh, whether it's like going to the schools, love that, uh, doing the radio shows with Trivia Time or, uh, or um, Investment Talk, or um, trying out and once in a while getting a part in a play. Oh, by the way, I did. I got a part in Noises Off that you did? FMCT is going to be. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. Which character? Selzden Mowbray. The yes. Oh, you're going to be, be phenomenal so at that. <laughs> of course you're Selzden. That's right. I was in Noises Off in high school, and I played uh, Tim the stagehand. Okay. And uh, uh, that was the first first show I was in where I remember getting big laughs myself just for doing like a motion or something. And that that's rather that, emotionally that, fueling, isn't it? That, oh, <laughs> it felt amazing. I've yeah. never done heroin. I assume that's what heroin feels like. Um, but uh, noises off is such a good show. You'll be perfect in that role. Here's a confession though. I myself, even though obviously now I'm reading and getting learning lines, I have never seen the film. I've never seen a production of Noises. It's 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 a good film, but it it does not have the same impact of the theater yeah. performance of it. It doesn't have the same energy, right? Like, like like it just does not have that live theater energy that I think farces really need. I think that the the thing that the movie suffers from is the ability to have cuts, and. Right. That is what is amazing to me about Noises Off is Noises Off is so much about timing. I mean, that whole, it's a it's like a, a stopwatch going start to finish. But when you've got the ability to do cuts and different angles, da, 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 I almost would prefer the film were just a static shot and they've got to do the whole thing in one, oh, I see, in one go. I see what you're talking about. I feel the same way about live performances of was music. Was Michael Caine? Was he the he director? Was, yeah. He's the director. Um who else is in that? Carol Burnett, Christopher Reeves. Christopher Reeves, wow, that's right. John Ritter. Oh, my. Uh, the, the guy who played Cousin, Cousin Larry. Cousin Larry was Tim. Who um, played the, my, the part of Selzden Mowbray? Uh, you know, I can't. It was an old British actor okay. who they kind of brought out of retirement for the show, and yeah. I wish I could remember what his name was. That's fine. I have an internet device in my hand. I feel we'll like he was like a soon. sir at that point. You know, say, to interject something about uh, Michael Caine, his real name is Morris Micklewhite, and uh, he was of the age where... He served with the British Army and was in the front lines in Korea. British really? were there as well as us. Uh, but getting on, he was poor, as many uh, budding actors were. And he said he finally got some success and was only able to buy his first car when he was 31 years old. However, he said that car was a Rolls Royce. <laughs> Uh, it's Denholm Elliott. Oh yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. Denholm Elliott. He played so. so I yeah. even picture him. Yeah, Carol Burnett, uh, Julie Haggerty is yes. Poppy. Mary Lou Henner. Man, um, it was an all-star cast. It re- and I mean, it is good. I, the movie, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, is really, really. Good. In fact, I've had a lifelong crush on Carol Burnett. That's still to this day. And it, she does such a phenomenal job in this role. And JJ, so knowing that about you now, and also knowing that you have a massive Angela Lansbury crush, mm-hmm. uh, if the two of them came in and it was like, we both want to make out with you, but you can only make out with one of us, which one would you pick? Oh. I'd go with Angela Lansbury myself. I know, right? But she was younger. She was hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also have a great and idea. of course, as Ben Franklin said, when it comes to older women, the Bennett, you know, what the... the uh, the advantages of older women, he, his last one was finally, they're so grateful. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Did he die of venereal diseases? You think he would, Ben Franklin? <laughs> well, he reached an old age, you know. Uh, he was, I think, in his well into his 80s. I was wondering it, if he picked something up in France. <laughs> <laughs> Probably did. Uh, <laughs> you know... I did you ever see that um, the HBO miniseries John about John Adams? Adams? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts is the the gentleman who's playing um, 
uh, Ben Franklin, they showed something I never knew about Ben Franklin, which is he liked to be carried around to places. And oh, so a, a sedan chair. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> they show him like when he first arrives at the Continental Congress and I said, I, I didn't know that. So I looked it up and I'm like, sure enough, there it is. He, he was a man of like uh, not refined taste, but leisurely taste. He loved long baths and lots of hot water. And so, well, he, he did a lot of stuff in his life. He, he really sure did. did. He really did. I sometimes wonder it, it, what I'm going to be remembered for because I haven't invented anything like bifocals or the potbelly stove. So I got to start inventing something, but I don't know what needs to be invented at this point. I think he, his name is on the Franklin stove. Is that Franklin? I think yeah, so. Uh-huh. Must That's be. Him. Yep. Must be. And you know, if you go to his grave site in Philadelphia, it's one of the most popular attractions in yeah. Philadelphia. It's, I mean, just a couple of blocks down from... Well, the, you know, his the, statue uh, is on the top of the highest building in Philadelphia. Is it really? And I think they have a, a sort of a, a statute that you cannot build higher. At least this is what... You cannot build a building higher than that. Mm. No, that, whether or not they changed it. I mean, it's, it's up there, but by today's standards, you know, with skyscrapers going so much higher. I have to look into that, but I... We just keep moving the statue to the next highest building. Like Franklin has well, to oversee. He's on the top of some specific building, whether it's a, a you know. A, it's not the s- capital, is it? The state capital no, building? No, state capital's in uh, Harrisburg in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not a geography. That trivia nut. question for you there, yeah. Tucker, and you missed that. Uh, <laughs> You're out. I, uh, I learned my state capitals through a song on the animated series Animaniacs, where they take the song Turkey in the Straw, and they do like... Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Columbus is the capital of Ohio. Also, the countries and yep. the planets. I, but, I, you know, the countries is out of date now. That's true. You know, because at the time when they made it, we've, we've established new countries, some split. That's true. And if we I ever... Was, uh, at my age, uh, when I turned eight, I had the one and only birthday party that I had in my youth. And uh, friends came over. This was in Downer. I grew up in Downer, which was in the Barnesville School District. Someone gave me one of those picture puzzle maps of the United States, where each state is a piece, except for the New England states, you got to jam something together. Well, they're also, they list the state capital on every state. Well, I got so, you know, I could put that puzzle together and really fast, and I learned, without really working at it, the state capitals. They, I went to a Catholic school in uh, Barnesville that existed long ago, the Assumption School, my third grade teacher, Sister Loretta, somehow discovered, she saw me drawing states or something, and, and she got into it, and she suddenly realized that I knew all these state capitals. Well, it's something that they were teaching at the same time in the fifth grade. And they, the enrollment there was small, so two, there were two grades in each room. First and, no kindergarten, then I never had kindergarten. First and second, third and fourth, fifth and sixth, seventh and eighth even. Well, uh, long story, try to abbre- abbreviate this. She said, we went over to the third or the fifth and sixth grade room, the fifth graders were learning state capitals. And we got up like a spelling bee, all the fifth graders on that side of the room, and I'm over here, <laughs> and they're throwing the questions on the state capitals. Well, I mean, I thought, I can't, I can't do worse than Ty because I know them all. And so we finally got down. A lot of them dropped out right really quickly. And, of course, I knew mine. We got the last one. There was Kathy Thomas, and they asked, West Virginia. And she couldn't come up with it. Steve? Now, and I can't remember whether they called me Steven or Stevie, whatever. And I said, well, that'd be Charleston. Whoa, I'm a winner. 
Um, my older brother, Philip, was in the sixth grade, so he witnessed this. But anyway, then we go just a few steps back to the uh, third and fourth grade room, come in, and Sister Loretta says, Stevie won. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> So I had knocked off the fifth grade. You were the toast of the grade at that yeah, point. Huh? Yeah. I just knew my new stuff. <laughs> uh, only one birthday in your childhood? Only one, one birthday, birthday party? party. What's yeah. a, why was that? I, we never really made a big deal about birthdays in my family. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? And I never felt as if I had lost out anything. I never had any doubts about my parents' affection and care for me. You know, None whatsoever. I know some families who do the exact same thing where birthday is just another day. And, uh, you know, there's maybe a cake for dinner, yeah. you know, and that's yeah. that's about the bulk of it. And I, I think we often got a cake. I mean, that was cool. And I know some families <laughs> who go way overboard with birthdays. It's almost like a month-long celebration. I don't know about you, but when it comes to chocolate cake with chocolate frosting and vanilla ice cream, mm. that's a dessert that's hard to beat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> it's hard for me to turn that down. <laughs> like, JJ's getting over food poisoning right now, and I bet if we offered him some Do you know what he derived from? I think it was from ribs. I had some bad pork on Friday. Oh. Yeah. It's caused quite the weekend. I was detailing to Tucker that I was worried I was having, like, a heart attack yesterday, and I was very tender to the touch. And, of course, I'm the only person home this weekend. So they wouldn't have found me until, like, Monday afternoon, which would be just (laughs) even worse. I have offered to bring him to the hospital. He has not taken me up on There are many more cases of food poison that people don't even realize that just sure. they attribute it to something else and they get over it. You a couple know? years ago, I got food poisoning so bad. <clears throat> I was hospitalized for two days because I threw up so many times. Do you know what that derived from? I, it was a meal at a local restaurant and, wow. uh, um, it was, uh, yeah. I mean like the moment I finished the meal, I started to feel sick. Like the moment I put my fork down and then it just, it, it escalated from that. And, uh, uh, I threw up so many times that my organs were shutting down. And so they had to like you know, hook me up to a bunch of IVs and stuff and monitor me and do a battery of tests to me to see what was up. And they were never able to pinpoint it is exactly this. They're like, so it's probably food poisoning, if anything. Mm. Um, and the a, a weird side effect of that whole spiel, before I got food poisoning, I always drank my coffee with cream and sugar. After I got food poisoning, which had nothing to do with coffee, I wasn't drinking coffee. I've only liked my coffee black. For oh. some reason, like it was, it was enough of a of a trial to go through that it flipped a switch in my brain and and changed a taste preference of mine hmm. for whatever reason. So the it's coffee a, I'm drinking now, black, black because coffee. of food poisoning. I always like uh, uh, the additives, some sort of creamer and and sugar, and I I do at least. Two cups every morning, if not three. Um, yeah. Just like millions and millions. So not only this, but it's about holding that hot drink and taking a sip from it from time to time. Well, some of us, it kind of unlocks, you know, our, you know, bowels in the morning to mm-hmm. be frank about it. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. You know, you got to <laughs> drop a couple off, you know, you've <laughs> worked off a grumpy. <laughs> you've worked in industries where coffee's a pretty important aspect of it too. You know, it, I think of at the radio station, there's always hot coffee in the pot. Yes. Uh, I imagine at the, the television studio, too, they're all, there's always hot coffee. Or, um, Yeah, I think uh, there, there was in the lounge, as I remember. Uh, yes, uh, I remember definitely at Channel 4. Um, I'm not just, but, uh, <laughs> I love how this episode has gone from the brilliance of Shakespeare to taking dumps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I'm sure that there's, you know, I'm sure that Shakespeare at one point had written something that involved like I, that's the character. Well, I don't know that he ever referred to anything remotely to. He referred, he talks about genitalia. He talks about sexual stuff. I don't think he ever talks about defecation. No, I don't as far as I'm so. aware well, of. Peeing. Uh, well, maybe the porter. I mean, the porter talks about, I'll have to look at that monologue again in Macbeth. He's talking about like getting drunk and. And and he's talking about uh, losing your erection. So he's talking about <laughs> sexual dysfunction. Well, yeah, there's a, That's what there's he's a line about. in, um, God, what's, oh, Taming of the Shrew, where some of the suitors of Bianca are around, and when there's an old guy, Grumio, he says something, he thinks, my cake is dough on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> in in Hamlet, when he's 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 got his head in Ophelia's lap while they're watching the play within a play, and he refers to, oh, you're talking about country matters. And it's uh, it's a sexual innuendo sure. that he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that devious fellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night when I couldn't reach the remote, I watched, regrettably, 55 minutes of the 1999 film Dudley Do-Right, based off of, of course, the old Rocky yeah. and Bullwinkle. I'll save you now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh, and during, <laughs> during that, I realized, because there's a lot of fart jokes that are a part of it, Stuff that they don't need that, you know, here's the thing. So Dudley Do-Right's not a good movie, but it has got great ideas throughout the whole thing. (laughs) Alfred Molina plays Snidely Whiplash, and he does so in such a perfect way. Like, he's not cartoony, but he's a live-action version of this character. I I loved it. It's unfortunate that Brendan Fraser and Sarah Jessica Parker had to be a part of it. (laughs) But at what point did we start accepting, like... The like the crude bodily humor and saying like this is for children. This is children's humor. Kids love it. Kids love the farts. Yeah. What's but wrong do with they, that? But do they really like? I I just think that there was more entertaining ways to to uh, to get a, a smile out of a kid back in the day in movies than there are. Well, I kind of agree with you, JJ. But I, I I've thought about this in the origins of humor in the human species as we evolved. Humor came in there sometime, and I'm thinking before we had much in the way of any kind of developed language, uh, but you know, obviously people had relationships with each other, and I'm thinking that somebody had to have cut a good one and was kind of proud of it, and somebody nearby was, holy cow, and that they got a laugh, and that the first laughs derived probably out of the the kingdom of farts. And you know why they call that comedy gold? It's because it does not lose its luster over time. <laughs> it's just as good of a joke now as it was in 2000 oh, yeah. BC. Do you think yeah. that it's because you elicit a response and a real visceral response from someone else? Because the other person in the room, the person who smells it, does not usually think it's very funny. I know. But the person yes. who does it, he who dealt it it's is exactly the one who finds it, it funny. <laughs> And the other person can't wait until they can get your back. Yeah, yeah, right. I, yeah. Oh, I love it. I think it's the best thing ever. Tucker and I really had a symphony going on before you got here. We were so in this room, it echoes really nicely. One of my best ones is with the family. We had been on vacation. We were at a McDonald's in Watertown, South Dakota, and they had hard plastic uh, bench seats. <laughs> I just, I just rattled one. Off. There weren't many people around. I said my own family. I just rattled one off, and I thought, God, you can't do any better than that. 
Uh, <laughs> one of my all-time favorite jokes is, you know, one who farts in church sits in his own pew. Oh, yes. That one will always tickle my fancy. Yeah, I don't remember which play of Shakespeare that one was from, but that is a good one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's from, uh, what's the one that they adapted into 10 Things I Hate About You? <laughs> Taming of the Shrew. Oh, no, that's the one. Nah. Um, you know, that did... I was not a fan of Shakespeare in high school. I agree with what you said earlier, Tucker, about how I listened to my fellow students stumble through it, reading aloud in class. I didn't see the performance aspect of it. And I just thought like, meh, this isn't for me until I read, um, uh, 12th night. And I remember reading 12th night and the language like popped off the page and I understood what they're going for. And I was laughing while I was reading it. And ever since then, I've become a bigger fan of Shakespeare. They asked me at Fargo South High a couple of years ago to guest as the prince. And so I had a wonderful time doing that role with these high school kids. But they made me go through the same study that the high school kids went through. Of like, exactly what are you saying here? Like, what, what, did, what does this line mean? And, and, you know, how, where's the breath, right? Don't they talk about that in Shakespeare a lot? Like, where the breath ends up? Right, probably, yeah. Um, and then I had a bunch of these young high school kids telling me, like, you really need to, like, deliver this line quicker or <laughs> you need to do this. And I was like, hey, easy. And then I lost my voice two days before our first show. So uh-huh. I was squeaking when I was uh, telling some of these, doing some of these lines. And uh, Kevin Kennedy, the director, was approached by one of the football coaches. And he goes, who the hell is that kid who's playing the Prince? We got to get him on a team. He's enormous. <laughs> and... <laughs> And Kevin's like, "Yep, he's a junior. I'll give you his. I'll give you his phone number. You can get. You can see if you can get him on the football team." Uh, and so it was. A, I always thought that was kind of funny That's that fantastic. I still could be sort of confused for a high school student. If only you'd followed through and actually played with him for a season. Oh, had like my never been kissed moment. Like relive my glory days. Be like watching LeBron James when he was playing in high school. Yeah. <laughs> just destroying every kid on the, on the See, field. But that's the thing is I've never had athletic ability, so I don't think I would have been any good. I could have stood there and maybe like I'd put you on defense though. Yeah, like, but even that you still need to be good like and understand what's going on. But I think in high school I think you just need to be a few sizes larger than the average oh, junior kid, you know, right? I think that's what you got to be. Hopefully fingers crossed, yeah, right? Yeah. I could have gotten a big scholarship, my life could have changed. Uh this podcast could be all about college sports. Luckily it's not. <laughs> um Steve, can you remember the worst weather event you lived through? Well, I don't think we've had uh, blizzards over the last years, like anything like I remember um, the, the, the toughest one, or most famous, was in uh, March of 66, where it left uh, streets in Fargo-Moorhead with drifts up to the street signs and everything closed down for three or four days. That was... Uh, the one that um, people talk about. Uh, I don't know that it led to any uh, fatalities or anything, but boy, it sure was a, a big event. I was a undergraduate at Moorhead State, and basically we were at like apartments of other students, and it was just party time for about three days. And one enterprising young man uh, got a snowmobile, and he went and he'd get <laughs> cases of beer and whatever else, the orders, and come and deliver, and uh, it was party time. But uh, that... But I remember uh, growing up when I was that there were really good blizzards that uh, shut things down, knocked out power. I recall having to go to kerosene lamps and uh, 
and uh, uh, well, anyway, getting by that way. Um, and I re- the the tornado, the famous June twenty tornado of nineteen fifty-seven. Okay, living in Downer, which is you know by the by the crow flies less than twenty miles from Fargo, and we were going to go. I was. Um, 11 at the time and we were going to go to a roller skating birthday party for one of our friends larry lean at the scars roller skating drive-in east of barnesville on 34 there a couple miles out of town well there was this alert for really bad weather and so we postponed it till the next night but we want you could look up it was the blackest sky i've ever seen uh, that storm and I'm sure we got something out of it, but it mostly, in its wrath, went due east along Highway 10 and places out around Glendon and things that ripped up trees after it had done its nastiest stuff here in North Fargo. But um, that uh, those would be probably standout memories for me. You know, Downer is a town, when we would go to our lake place, we took the Downer Road is what we called it to get down there. And they... When you come off the interstate and go into town, there's that there's like a cross highway that leads to Barnesville. Yeah, highway State Highway Nine. Is that nine? County on the, Road Ten and State Highway Nine. I guess on the on the northeast side, I think it was a little filling station at the, one the, point. The Midway. Is that what it was called? The Midway. Yeah, that was uh, one of the spots in in uh, my godparents, as a matter of fact, ran it and their their family. It. Um, it uh, had uh, was three. You could get licenses for three, two beer. So it had that, and guys played cards in there. It had a a little bar they could, you know, do hamburgers, make you lunches, things like that, sell you candy, and pump gas uh, and fuel oil out front. Yeah. Just recently, I drove through Downer again, and I saw that someone has turned it into a family home now. Holy cow! And could you imagine what that place? Because I stopped there many a time as a youngster going through, and I can't imagine what that would look like as a home now. But it's neat to know that it's repurposed because the building still looks pretty much well, the see, same. Uh, Downer, when I was a kid, it was much different. We had a, a, a big block building that had been a bank. It was the Downer Mercantile. My dad ran it for years, where it was a general store. We sold. Uh, had pumps out front that you know you pump like this for gas Um, but it was a grocery store we had a 3-2 beer joint in there it was the post office and uh, we sold uh, fishing license and tackle and you name it it was a a mercantile like that well my dad saw the writing on the wall that if people were getting more and more mobile they weren't going to come and spend their money there when they could go to Moorhead and supermarkets and all that so he went to work for Coast Brothers uh, ultimately becoming their bookkeeper for years. And for some years, he turned to my mother and us kids ran the store uh, for another, oh, until I guess I was 14, and then we moved to Moorhead. So I'd often be left in there when the quiet times in the summer uh, afternoons when virtually nobody's coming in and uh, I would be in charge. I, I was in, there one in, in the store when I was as young as nine years old. And if somebody came in, some man from the town or I knew, they wanted, I set them up with their three, two beer. I mean, it was, it was a simple life. It was like Andy of Mayberry with some curves. <laughs> but anyway, back then, uh, Downer had two big elevators for grain. It had two potato houses. It had a lumber yard, a hardware store. Uh, there was the town hall. Um, the midway and then the very active coast brothers pit where they made blocks and bricks and they 
you know, gravel washing. They, um, they were the, the gravel that went into the concrete for much of the expansion of Fargo-Moorhead came from that range of gravel out there that runs right along the edge of Downer and it's east and uh, it runs on up. But, God, you uh, know the deep cuts about this town. Like, you know well, where yeah. they source the gravel well, from. Well, see, That's the fantastic. town was, you know, I always grew up. I thought, well, it was just Downer and well, yeah, it was another farm town. But we were also a mining and manufacturing town. They mined right. gravel and they made uh, bricks huh. and blocks. They, it, it's now not, it, junkyard's not the right word, but like it's yeah, got it's the just, repurposed car parts just, uh, and stuff is yeah yeah stacked up like it, for miles like i say it's completely different and yet people have found it because of its proximity i suppose if i remember, there are people building new houses in areas out there i thought nobody would ever it's like you're saying somebody's converted the midway into a a, a family <laughs> residence that's hard to fathom it's also got one of the best roadside joints now oh, with the, that main line oh, oh yeah, yeah. the food there is good and see that was a converted from a they, they were they would dealt with potatoes i don't know if they washed potatoes there or something really Pretty sure they shipped them because that's potato country out there uh and as long as as well as any other crops uh corn and do you ever use that as a pickup line like hey i'm steve poitras i'm from potato country well we used to it, it when i was a kid people you picked potatoes by hand you had a partner and you each had a half bushel basket and you went along whether bent over or on your knees and you got your basket full and it and then you'd have a certain amount of uh, potato sacks uh, burlap sacks you come out and one would hold and pour and boom and for every bushel that you picked you and your partner would make generally it was 10 cents so you made a nickel a piece if you picked 100 bushels that was 10 bucks you'd each get five dollars Big money back in, this is like in the early mid-50s, mm. later you know, 50s. B- to put it in the idea, like a bushel is not, it's not like four pounds of potatoes. A bushel's got to be what? It's a big what? bag. It's yeah. about 60 pounds of potatoes. Yeah. yeah. So you're picking a lot of potatoes to get that. But I mean, that was good money back then. And also, well, you get to be out in the, the, the sun with your friend, <laughs> right? You'd end up really dirty, of course. Be, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, well, we did it. And we only did it on Saturdays. Nobody worked on Sundays in those days. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody worked on Sunday. Well, not totally true, but a lot of people didn't. But uh, we we'd have when it wasn't school, we'd pick on Saturdays, and uh, you'd be mighty tired by the end of the day, mighty tired. But like five dollars, uh, the county fair might would come to Barnesville, and uh, with five dollars, you could just have all the fun in the world. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite ride from back in the day? Well, I can tell you one. I was never keen on the Ferris wheel. On that w- trip going up, looking down, I was always a little, and I still am, a little bit uh, squeamish about a Ferris wheel. I guess I like the bullet going up and back and twirling yeah. around, and you know, I could handle all of those real wild. Uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, some years later, I, uh, my younger boy Antoine and I went down to Valley Fair, it's called, and we went on a whole lot of rides. I went on about a dozen rides. My favorite were the two conventional old um, roller coasters. Oh, like the yeah. Excalibur, I think, is yeah, one of them, the old wooden ones. Um, we, we, we did a lot of them. Uh, they'll take you up and then they drop you and big swings. and yeah. There's a rich part of American history that's tied into roller coasters. It was, you know, it's a uniquely American thing. It's like jazz music. Another one, when if you got a really good ride on a Tilt-A-Whirl, where they really bend you to the back. <laughs> you know, with that centrifugal force. But often, you know, you, 
sometimes your tilt the world just didn't get swing as much as it should. I'm so not built for carnival rides. I just, I hate them. I don't like doing them. Um, I don't get pleasure from that feeling that you get from a roller coaster where, you, you know, it, it, the, the the drop in your stomach or the, the nervousness because this feels dangerous even though I know I'm safe. I've only ever been on one roller coaster and it was the... I don't, they probably don't have it anymore. It, do they even have Camp Snoopy at the... At it's now called the Park at MOA. Okay, so when it was Camp <laughs> Snoopy at the Mall of America, and they had a roller coaster in there, and I, as a kid, was like, I want to go on that. Roller coasters are supposed to be... Five. I was probably six. Um, and I, I finally went on it with my cousin Josie, and within... 30 seconds of it starting, I wanted off. I was like, nope, I don't like this. Don't like this at all. And so I went through the roller coaster and by most roller coaster standards, it's nothing. It's a teeny tiny little thing. Nothing like what they have at Valley Fair. Um, but ever since then, I, I, I learned something about myself that day that it was like, yeah, I do not get any enjoyment out of rides that put you in scenarios like that. I can actually do a Ferris wheel because it's leisurely. Right, I'm not being made to feel gross. I like going up on the Ferris wheel, but um, yeah, roller coasters, tilt a whirl, like those towers that just Tower of Terror drops. You know, not not for me. And I definitely would not wait in line for oh, hours yeah. to go on one of those things. Yeah, boy, that's yeah, that when that the one and only. I think I thought that's enough for me at Caps New where you didn't realize they were masking much of the line in tunnels. You ever hit? Oh, mm-hmm. you know, you think you're going to get on there. Oh, this looks like the line. Oh, you get in, yeah. oh, no, there's still hundreds more people waiting. And oh, you know, come here, you get a br- ride and then you're waiting two hours for Oh, no, no, thanks. Yeah, no. Oh. I'm surprised they don't do something like add, you know, D- Disney's famous for making the queue process part of the ride. Oh, so. While you're waiting, you're watching content that oh. sets you up for whatever the story is going to be, or there's things that are only available while you're waiting in line to make that hour that. and 45 minutes more bearable. <laughs> Makes sense. You've got sort of a captive audience there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm surprised they don't add gift shops in there, right? Like, you, you know, you got them. It's like the uh, the checkout line at the grocery store. That's why they put all the candy and magazines there. It's because they like, we know we've got you for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I hate waiting in lines. Have you do you have a, a like a job from your childhood that you think back really fondly of that you think like gosh that was that was one of my favorite jobs you know you talked about working at the store and yeah working at the store was fine except it could be kind of boring uh, uh, we had a couple of booths in there so friends kind of we could in those days unlike today very few people learned to play cards everybody played cards whether it was whist or hucklebuck or Pinochle, cribbage. They didn't play bridge. I learned bridge later when I got to college, and it's a great card game. But everybody played cards, and that was a great pastime. I love cards. In fact, I learned uh, whist because I heard so many people talking about. They said it's a game of kings. How many of your contemporaries play cards? Barely anybody. Yeah, yeah. My sister is like Hold'em, you know, like yeah, because that became popular. So that's well, like poker might be something else. But I'm talking about these. This was social events. People got together for card parties, Mm -hmm. being pre-TV. See, I remember days before I was about seven when the first TV channel came on. Here it was Channel Six, and they wouldn't come on until late afternoon. We'd sit there and watch the test pattern, and then one of the early shows that was on was Flash Gordon. 
And I suppose now if you looked at it, the production values must have been so crude. But we loved it. Yeah, CG hadn't made its way oh, yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some fun in-camera tricks, though, right, back in the day? But, um, and that was like the probably the old-style cameras, too, where if, they, if you see like a flash of light or something too bright... Like the cameras couldn't even handle it correctly, so you see sort of like this like empty vacant spot. Well, Flash Gordon was played by an actor named Buster Crab, C R A B B E. Great last Buster name, Buster Crab. Well, you know, when you think of, well, who is the guy who played Superman in all the serials? George well, Reeves. George Reeves. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, and all these people who played superheroes before, you know, like. People of my generation barely remember that Christopher Reeves was the first, uh, uh, you know, matinee idol of the Superman franchise. But uh, was there any kind of family connection between Christopher Reeves and George? I Reeves? don't believe so. I, yeah, believe I think if I remember right, George Reeves, the Superman, didn't yep. he kill himself? Yep. Did he kill himself or was he murdered? Well, maybe there's some. I think that there's there some might speculation. Be some, yeah, that yeah, might be. Because hmm. there's a. There's a great movie yes, about it with ben Affleck. Affleck. Yeah, 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 yeah. That great scene where that kid shows up at like a at like a public event, and he's brought his dad's gun with him, and he's pointing <clears throat> it at Superman, and that he has to like talk him out of mm-hmm. shooting him. Um, he wants to see the bullet bounce off his chest. Right, 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 right. That that's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. That's pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's Hollywood Land was the name of that movie. Might have been that mistaken. sounds right. Um. Do, uh, do you have a favorite card game? Like, if you're going to sit down and play something? Well, it'd be Bridge. Is it Bridge? Yeah. I We still get together, friends, and, and we, yeah, it's uh, anybody who plays cards, ultimately, probably the vast majority of them would say that uh, Bridge is their favorite. I carry a cribbage board in my car at all times, just I'm, in case. Yeah, uh, I'll play cribbage, but boy, I'm not, yeah, I, I don't seem to have much luck at it. So, oh, yeah? Good. Then you can play me, because I love to win. I like Pinochle. Pinochle's fun. So do I. In fact, I miss the days. My parents used to tell me about how, like, it was like Thursday night at Duffy's was Pinochle night, and people, it was just stacks and stacks of cards over there. I remember, I think, on Saturdays, uh, playing in Pinochle tournaments at Duffy's. Sure. At Duffy's, at the American Legion in Moorhead. Uh, uh, Jack Sunday night went, went down to play uh, in a... Well, a couple of times we went to Lemoore once and to Rutland once to play in pinochle tournaments. We had this distinction, you know, you sit and you play four hands at a table. At one table at that Rutland tournament, um, <clears throat> Jack and I got all four bids and we got set four times. <laughs> you can tie that, but you can't do worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, and... I think, you know, one thing I've always wished that my generation would pick up that previous generations really enjoyed was the idea of putting a record on and just sitting and listening to it as a group. Um, you know, I yeah. think for my generation, listening to anything uninterrupted is a very singular oh, solo yeah. experience. We, uh, friends, uh, we'd get together and um, see, I used to do the, my schedule for years at Channel 4, doing the weather, was I'd do the noon show, I'd do the 6 o'clock weather, and the 10 o'clock. Well, there, I'd have long, uh, long break in the afternoon, and I'd go home. Well, I had buddies uh, come over, and, um, you know, we'd listen to, oh, one, did either of you know Jeff Petrick? Mm-hmm. Oh, anyway, he was a marvelous guy. And anyway, he and other friends, we'd get together and uh, listen to, like, Frank Zappa. We were all Zappophiles. And uh, 
you know, we'd toke up and, uh, which was. Yeah, you really get into the music. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, like you say, yeah, you'd listen to things together and be fascinated by lyrics and all. And yeah, everybody's now into their own little uh, head pods, huh? Yeah. I think it's, it's very disappointing. And it's also disappointing when, you know, we've got all these devices and people can't just immerse themselves in one thing and be totally present in that one thing for at the, a while. At the same time, though, it's also a part of the, the groundswell of <clears throat> popularity with podcasts, like podcasts like this one right now. In like the, the, the podcasts that I listen to are just like this one where they're long form conversational because I like having some media to consume that's slow. That's not, uh, you know, showing me an image every five seconds to try to capture my attention. Something that I yeah. can be listening to passively and do my own thing, and 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 know that you know if it's a two to three hour Joe Rogan podcast, I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to it until I'm I'm sick of listening to it, and if I want to, I'll just keep keep going, and then I'm getting uh, stimulating conversation at the same time. So I think that it's there's you go too far, and then there's sort of the correction with people over time. Hopefully, and I think podcasting is See, part of that. Something here, just to digress, because uh, I, I stopped to think to myself, what day is this? And I remember that it's Sunday. Um, that's one thing I've noticed is uh, I have more and more difficulty remembering what day it is. Um, <laughs> I made this mistake. This was uh, back before I started working in the schools, because I had a period there where I had more than in, you know more free time on my hands than I needed. And uh, my wife, who was full-time work managing the flower shop out at Northport Hornbachers, I uh, <laughs> made the stupid mistake of saying, is this Wednesday or Thursday? To which Sue said, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Damn. Oh, but, and, but once, once I was working more again, doing uh, this, I, I don't think Sue had any problem because then I've noticed more recently and she... She, she she retired here. She turned 65 in the middle of February and wrapped up working at the end of uh, February. And she's had trouble remembering what day of the week it is. I've been out on bike rides with my good friend Gordy Richardson. He used to run the VIP room. I don't know if you, maybe you'd know him. If you, anyway, we're riding. I think we were out. We'd ridden out to the airport and back. And I says, geez, you know, I said, I, I, I forgot what day it is. And I says, God, I thought it was Sunday, but actually it's Monday. And he says, no, it's neither. <laughs> God. I mean, it really, uh, yeah. it's I, hilarious. I think you, you worry when it's like, is it March or? <laughs> well, see, today, woke up and uh, see, uh, well, there's a, a cat. We have a cat. and Early in the morning, it'll start meowing to be fed. And uh, you let it go for a while, and finally I looked, and clock said 6.26, and I said, oh, yeah, this is Sunday. i got to get up to get ready for uh, investment talk, because some of the prep for that happens just the same morning. Um, but then I got up, feed the cat, and get going. And, uh, and uh, Sundays, uh, with that early start, there'll be some times, and, and I, might, I took a healthy, I think about a 14-mile bike ride with Gordy earlier, and uh, who knows what else? Sometimes later in the day or evening, I, I think, Jesus, these Sundays are long. <laughs> <laughs> and then not in a bad way. It's just like, I, it, it seems like that was a long time ago this morning. And yet, 
the days, the weeks, the months go by so fast. Um, I've noticed it's like every month goes faster than the month before. Hmm. Does that happen for you guys? Are young men yet? Oh no, I think absolutely. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's only going to increase. Always upon reflection, you know, <laughs> never in the moment. In the moment, things always feel like it's going at a snail's pace for yeah. me. But then once it's done, it's like, God, that was quick. The, uh, you know, this episode is almost. We're bordering on our hundred and fortieth episode getting of this close, show. Getting close. So, uh, and most of them are over an hour long. So we've put together probably one hundred and seventy-five plus. Yep. Hours of content like this but well, it seems like we just started the show yesterday right I, I and which is neat because it must mean that we're passionate we're having a great time but there are days where i will look at a clock twice and be like i think that a minute went by but it felt like an hour and a half and that must be a attention span issue that our generations and after us will be experiencing like i don't hear my parents ever talking like that ever um, and I wonder how much of that is the fact that we are so habituated to being able to entertain ourselves every few seconds. So the, I actually, when I get the chance to take the time to put my phone down and it's hard for the first like 20 minutes, but I eventually achieve an, uh, like, oh, that's right. That's what it feels like to not have anxiety constantly. <laughs> that's what it feels like to not have a brain that's racing and causing me suffering in the moment. And, uh, you know, maybe a 14 mile bike ride helps, helps do that too. Cause you can't really pick your phone up and look at it. When but you're doing yet that. we each have our phones along and, uh, Gordy will say, for instance, Oh, can we stop saying, he says, I'm getting a text and I'll do the same thing if I, but does it happen uh, most, but, uh, we chat a lot, um, as we go along, we go at a pretty leisurely pace for the most part. You're looking in super shape. So how often are you going bike riding? Well, I also, uh, most days, uh, but I also go over to Courts uh, Plus on a very regular basis. I have for years, and I if I go there, I can multitask because I can do a cross trainer while reading, and or it's because that makes the tedium of that exercise go by, and you're doing some. But even better than that is somebody I know, a friend, gets on a machine next to me, and we chat away much of that hour. Then. That's the best of all. See, my problem is that when I try and chat with someone while I'm on a, like a treadmill or an elliptical, it's a lot of kids. <laughs> well, uh, a cross trainer isn't going to, unless you're really going to add and want it, you can set it for, well, the, 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 the resistance and the ramp angle. I took a break <laughs> while coming up the stairs to the studio today, I'll Steve. <laughs> So, I'll tell you. You're also recovering from food poisoning. I'll tell you one that'll really get to you in a hurry, and that's stair climbing machines. Oh, man. Yeah. You ever done them? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I challenged myself to do a half hour, and oh, boy, I made it. But boy, it was like a real test of will the last few minutes. Gives uh, you I, a new respect for Rocky in the training montage, doesn't it? When he's running up the stairs in front of that uh, university. Like, uh, I saw. About two years ago, I was in Philadelphia for my previous job, and uh, we went to that staircase to shoot a Rocky parody. And there were like five or six other people shooting Rocky parodies at the same time on that staircase. And I wonder how often that that happens now. Rocky, the original Rocky, my goodness, does that go all the way back now to... Isn't it a museum? Isn't it a museum? I think think that's about right. Yeah, yep. Incredible. Um, yeah, so Sylvester Stallone donated a life-size bust of himself. He to donated be, it. <laughs> to be placed 
at the top of this staircase because he's made it so incredibly famous. It's iconic. Yes. And um, yeah, statue for a for a, you a know, fake athlete. I, <laughs> I'm I'm not so keen. I, I loved Rocky, um, but you know what? I'll watch and rewatch is Rambo: First Blood. Oh mm. yes, that that sheriff played by Dennehy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 they drew first blood. <laughs> They drew first blood. I was really hoping. Well, is is the last blood it is called comes last out blood. this, <laughs> uh, this right. fall? Yeah. It's called Last Blood, mm-hmm. the next Rambo movie. Wow. You know, but, there was a period of time a few years ago where they were talking about another Rambo movie, and at the point at that time, the villains were going to be the KKK. Um, he was going to go to like a small, uh, like <clears throat> like swampy town in the south. But now I believe it's the drug cartel, Mexican drug cartel he's fighting mm. in this one. And his, his, uh, he's shorn his locks, so he does not have the long hair. It's, 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 it's modern day expendables, Sylvester Stallone. On the name Rambo, there, is, was a, um, there was a French poet, uh, uh, Jim Morrison was fond of his, his name was, it's R-I-M-B-A-U-D. And that pronunciation in France, French is Rambo. And I'm wondering whether or not Stallone, in choosing the name Rambo, whether there was some connection to uh, uh, some appreciation for that French poet Rambo. Well, so now, so he wrote and created Rocky, but did he do the same thing for First Blood, or did he just get hired into it? I think that he was a script doctor. For he was, it, yeah. Okay, I. He's an incredibly intelligent man. It, you know, it's funny because he plays these action meathead roles, but he's a very smart. Well, dude. And, and yeah, financially, I mean. He, that was the deal. He wrote Rocky, and people were ready to buy the property, but he says, no, I'm doing the role. Yep. That's the only way. And uh, there it went, you know? And so I'm sure with anything, with the incredible success of that, he's going to have a lot of power in right. terms of choosing other properties or, or his own things to do because that's all Hollywood. Hey, that looks like it'll make money, and they'll throw it there. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. glad he gave up his comedy career because I didn't he know never he had one. Oh, you mean he like made, like stop, stop or my mom will shoot. shoot. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, had, he had a couple of those movies where he was trying to he was trying to capture the energy of these action stars doing you know these more comedic. He was doing roles. the same time as Schwarzenegger was doing Kindergarten Cop mm-hmm. and uh, other other such. Yeah, I mean, Hulk movies. Hogan did uh, uh, Suburban Commando mm-hmm. and Mr. Nanny or whatever <laughs> Mr. it was. Mr. Nanny, that's um, right. <laughs> so I think there, there were you know, there were a lot of them who wanted to get into that that era. But, uh, you know, Steve, as, as we get ready to wrap this thing up, thank you so much for coming in and being our guest today. Well, you make it so easy. It's just been fun to converse uh, with friends. Isn't it nice where, it's, you know, you don't have to get to a commercial break and... Uh, it's just, it's nice like that. One thing I want to for sure compliment you on is you used to have one of the best mustaches in Fargo Moorhead. <laughs> and when you watch old footage of you from, uh, you're thinking of that Charlie Johnson clip. I am, you? Yeah. Yeah. Specifically. <laughs> do you know, do you know how popular that clip is online? You mean where I, uh, rep, uh express my disappointment about, uh, Charlie Johnson no longer being at channel four. Yep. 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 That lives on, huh? Oh, man, so much so, so much so. And then at one point, you spoke to a mass media class that my wife took when she was in college. And she, like, even today when I said, well, I'm gonna, I'm interviewing Steve Poitras, and she's like, oh, my God, you're interviewing Steve Poitras? 
And I'm like, yep. And guess what? He's been to our house before. <laughs> what? He's what? That's right. Because so in 2005, we made a movie called Mercedes Ray versus the former presidents of oh, the United yeah, States. Oh, yeah. It was Martin Van Buren. Oh, and you killed it, too. The, you well, were that awesome. That was wild. That was wild. <laughs> yeah. What a collection of great people that were playing the presidents. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. That yeah. was so much fun. And JJ was Taft. Yeah. I still think that Dave Shear was the spitting image of Carter. Right. Right. I mean, it was amazing. And uh, Hank K-Truck as Ulysses mm-hmm. S. Grant In was regard fantastic. to that mustache, I had worn it pretty much continually from uh, when I was in the Army uh, in 69. You, your, your own little ray of, you know, after basic training, you were allowed, if no beards, of course, but you could grow a mustache. So I grew that, and I guess I had that up until 1988 when Dr. Hansen over at uh, Moritz State invited me to reprise the role of Pseudolus, and funny thing happened on the way of the form that I had played as an undergraduate when I was 20, still in Weld Hall. It was the last uh, regular season musical ever done on the stage at Weld Hall before then they moved over to the Center for the Arts. Well, anyway, he invited me back. Okay, great. And I took uh, some vacation time away from the station to be able to rehearse for only about 10 or 11 days. And Dr. Hans says, play a role. You got to take the mustache off. And I understood. So I shaved it off. And... Um, after uh, we did it, and it was great fun and all, I grew the mustache back. But I had developed this bad habit of biting and picking at it, you know, mm-hmm. sticking it into my... And I thought, this, I'm just, I'm, I'm ending it, making it scraggly. And so I took it off, and I've left it off ever. So I really haven't had it since sometime later in 1988. Okay. I, I do grow sort of a vestige of it on my left buttock. <laughs> <laughs> Huh. That's a weird, weird evolutionary trait right there. Uh, and uh, I think that's the that's the perfect place to end the podcast. Uh, thanks again, Steve. Thank you very much. This has been great fun. A huge thanks to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty for sponsoring this podcast. Folks, if you're looking to buy or sell a home, contact Natalie Deutsch today because Natalie Deutsch is not only a previous podcast guest, she's somebody who's going to care enough to sell your property for top dollar. She's also going to find you the best price possible if you're purchasing a new home. Last year on average, Natalie earned her clients $4,000 over list price on their homes and sold them faster than the market average. On average, Natalie's selling a home every 3.74 days. That's two homes a week. Those numbers don't lie. Find out why Natalie is one of the top agents in this entire market. Get a hold of her today, Natalie at HatchRealtyFM.com. You can also call 701-388-9338 or go on to LiveFargoMoorhead.com. That's LiveFargoMoorhead.com. Read all of her amazing reviews and then listen to her episode of JJ Meets World. Thanks again to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty. That's going to wrap it up for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode of JJ Meets World and would like to help us continue to produce two new episodes every week, you can donate to our Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash JJ Meets World and donate today. Even as little as a dollar a month can go a long way. Visit our website at www.jjmeetsworld.com or hit up our social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the sites the kids are using these days. If you'd like to stay up to date on new episodes of JJ Meets World, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you consume the podcast that you love. 
JJ Meets World is produced every week by Tucker Lucas. You can find out more about Tucker's work by checking out www.moonbasemaria.com. If you want to get in touch with your host with the most, go to linebenders.com and you can find direct contact info for JJ. One time Steve Poitras big-timed me, pretending he didn't know who I was when I was running for mayor. And I went up to him at an event and uh, looking back on it, I don't blame him at all. I would have probably done the same thing to me too. Thank you.